take your Bible with me this morning and turn to the book of Philippians. Philippians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, GE, General Electric Power Company. I'll help you. Uh, I, I'm... I'm almost 60, and I still have, I still, if I go to one of those books, that thought still runs through my head from childhood. So, uh, Philippians chapter 1. Tom Rayner writes uh, in his uh, little book, I am a church member, and I would encourage uh, every person in this room to pick up a copy of that book. I am a church member. You can buy it for less than probably uh, ten bucks. I may even find it if you look around for five. Uh, and you can read it in probably uh, an hour. Uh, it's not, it's a very small book. Uh, tell you, the first time I ever read it, I downloaded it onto my iPad uh, to read on vacation. And some of you have heard me talk about this before. I sit down on vacation to start reading it, and I get to the get, and it, the page won't turn. And I'm thinking something's wrong with my iPad. And I cut it off, and I cut it back on, and I keep. And finally, I realize, no, that's the end of the book. It's it's just it's a really small book. Uh, but uh, I, I've heard Tom say before he writes today to fit the attention span of the average average American, um, and um, it, it's an excellent little book. Again, I think it probably should be uh, required reading uh, for every uh, church member. We. Uh, a few years back, I gave away uh, a lot of copies of it. And um, if you've got one uh, and you're done with it, bring it back and give it to somebody else and let them read it. Uh, but his opening of that story, uh, of that little book, uh, he talks about when he was a child growing up that news came to town uh, that they were going to build a country club uh, in their community. Uh, now, he was quick to add, he said, it's not what the, it wasn't what typical people think of as a country club. It was just some local guys trying to make a living. Uh, but he said, it, uh, they were going to put in a swimming pool, uh, and they were going to have a restaurant, and they eventually put in a golf course. So that tells you it wasn't a real fancy golf uh, country club, but uh, they didn't have a they didn't have a golf course right out of the gate. Uh, but uh, he said his, his dad, middle class dad, uh, was able to afford the, uh, the monthly fee, and so they joined. Uh, and he began to be able to go uh, and to swim in the pool, uh, was able to go into the little uh, restaurant area and get a sandwich or whatever, uh, and said he, he learned very quickly, said at that early uh, age, he said, I began to learn that membership has perks, uh, that there are benefits uh, to being uh, a member. Uh, and that's what I began to learn uh, about membership. He said, I learned if I'm a member, uh, others will serve me, uh, others will wait on me, just uh, just pay the going rate, and, and other people uh, will take care of you. Uh, they'll clean up the pool. They will carry out the garbage. They will do all those things for you. Uh, and all you have to do uh, is to enjoy uh, the benefits. Uh, all you have to do is to be on the receiving end uh, of all uh, those good things uh, that come uh, with being a member. 
And unfortunately, he writes, uh, many people today uh, inside of the church have uh, decided that's what being a church member means as well. Uh, that if I'm a member, uh, someone else will serve me. Uh, if I'm a member, there are, uh, there are benefits uh, to being uh, a member. Uh, if you've been around the church long, you've heard statements like, well, I'm a member here, and, and, and so you're gonna, we're going to do it this way. Uh, I, I've been a member here 30 years, and I say, you know, uh, those kind of statements. And we have kind of developed that, uh, that country club uh, mentality uh, when it comes to church, uh, church work, uh, church membership. Uh, again, uh, the average church member uh, has a very uh, unbiblical uh, idea uh, of, uh, of what it means to be in a church, uh, what it means to be a church member, uh, even what a church is. Uh, Caleb uh, mentioned a while ago in his testimony that he went uh, to a training for youth workers yesterday. And on the way to church today, uh, we were talking, and I won't go into the whole uh, story, uh, but uh, he was talking about some things he had learned, uh, and I said, "Well, that, that's biblical. Uh, you know, that's the way you, you know, that's the way you, um, uh, you know, the way the Bible says do things." And I said, uh, "You know, unfortunately, most churches are not run biblically, uh, and uh, we don't church most church members. Uh, we don't think of uh, of church in a." biblical uh, fashion. And uh, Rainer says this. I'm going I'm to quote this directly from his book. For them, membership is about receiving instead of giving, being served instead of serving, rights instead of responsibilities. This morning we're going to start going through uh, the book of Philippians. Now typically when somebody thinks uh, of the book of Philippians, uh, we think of it uh, as a book of joy. Uh, and Paul does mention the word joy uh, at least 16 times uh, in, uh, in, in these four little chapters. Uh, and, and I think that's part of the reason that uh, God has led me to this, uh, to this book uh, and led me here uh, is because we certainly live uh, in a time uh, where we need to understand Joy, uh, and, and I always distinguish joy from happiness in this way. Happiness is external. Uh, you can uh, you can make someone happy. You can give them money. You can give them a promotion. You can uh, you know do their job for them. You can wash and wax their car. You can uh, do a lot of things. Happiness uh, is external. But on the other hand, you can take that away, uh, and you can uh, take those things away. Joy, on the other hand, is internal. Joy is what you have no matter what else you have. Joy is what uh, comes from the inside. Joy uh, is what uh, God is doing uh, in your life. Joy is what uh, God is doing in your heart. And it doesn't matter if you're broke. And it doesn't matter if you're a millionaire. It doesn't matter uh, if you're eating uh, steak or if you're going hungry. 
joy uh, can't be taken from a person. And we certainly uh, need to be reminded of that uh, in, uh, in this world, uh, in this culture, uh, in this day. Uh, but uh, our first few verses of Philippians uh, are not going to deal. Uh, I thought originally, I thought, uh, as, I, as I began to study, they don't really deal with joy. Uh, but the more as I, more I studied it, the more I uh, dug into what Paul uh, was saying here. And again, I hope you'll uh, keep your Bibles open to the book of Philippians because we're going to almost take uh, these first two verses uh, word for word. And if you don't have your Bible, shame on you. Bring it next week. And if you don't have your Bible and you got your phone, don't be, uh, don't be ashamed to pull it out and look at it there. That's a, Open your Bible or turn your Bible on. Whatever you got to do this morning. Uh, if you don't have the Bible on your phone or your tablet, I'll even help you. Download the U version, uh, and boom, there you got a great Bible uh, right there where you can turn it. But you'll notice uh, as we look at those two verses, uh, he doesn't really mention anything about joy. And we're going to talk about this morning as we look at those two verses, uh, the characteristics or the components uh, of a Christian congregation. I hope you understand this morning uh, why I call it a Christian congregation. Because you can have a congregation that is not Christian. You can have a congregation that is not Christian. I want to talk about a Christian congregation from Paul's greeting uh, to the Philippians. There are some characteristics that, uh, that he is going to reveal to us here uh, that uh, are the characteristics of a Christian congregation. I hope you'll write them down. I hope you'll begin to pray. Uh, very specifically, God, let these things, let these characteristics be, uh, be seen in Poplar Grove Baptist Church. And I would challenge you to pray even broader than that. God, help every Bible-believing Christian congregation to reveal these marks to their community. These are, I think, uh, and there are certainly more, but these are just uh, five that Paul is going to share with us, uh, I think, in these, uh, in these opening verses. And here's the thing. Um, if they are the characteristics of the congregation, then they, uh, then they have to be the characteristics of me. Uh, I, I have to have them. You have to have them. Uh, these are... Uh, those characteristics. He begins uh, by saying something that uh, it, it's easily uh, overlooked. Paul says here uh, in his opening words, in his uh, greeting, uh, he makes very clear, uh, he says something here. He says, Paul and Timothy. Paul and Timothy. Now, you, you may, and I'll be very honest with you, uh, it, it's very easy in reading Paul's letters uh, to just leap right over the first few verses because almost every one of his letters begins, if not the same way, very close. This one actually is a little different. We're going to talk about that uh, in just a moment. But he begins by saying, Paul 
and Timothy. You may uh, originally, you may read that as, as I no doubt have over the years and, and really thought nothing of it. Well, it up, Paul and Timothy. But as I began to think about that and read and study, uh, it, it became evident that's actually very uh, important mark uh, of a Christian congregation. Paul here is the older, wiser uh, man uh, of the group. Uh, he is, in effect, Timothy's pastor. Uh, he is Timothy's mentor. Uh, he is Timothy's counselor. He is Timothy's guide. One of the characteristics that uh, I believe uh, is fundamentally missing in the average congregation today is this idea of, and again, it's biblical, you know it's there. What does the Bible say? The Bible says the older women should teach the younger women. The Bible says the older men should teach the younger men. I'm not making this up, folks. If you, you know, I, I, uh, this is not just my theory uh, on how church ought to operate. Paul had taken Timothy and he had taken him in under his wing and had began to counsel him, began to lead him, began to train him up because Paul knew that the day would come when he would no longer be there and Timothy would have to leave. Read the books of First and Second Timothy. Read how Paul writes to Timothy, his son he calls him. Uh, a, a Christian congregation, one of the things that, uh, that we have got to, uh, once again, uh, in, in God's church, begin to wrap our arms around is this idea of mentoring and discipling younger converts. Of sharing with them. Now, let me say something right there. Let me just, let me pull over here on the side lane just one moment. To the younger people, learn to listen. I, I, I realize that the reason many older Christians and converts don't bother trying to, to disciple and train up the young converts and the young people in the church is because, let's just be honest, sometimes the young folks can be hard-headed. Some of you who are older now, would you be willing to admit when you were younger, you were hard-headed too? Some of you who are older, would you be willing to admit that you're still hard-headed? Okay? So there's a dual responsibility here. Do you know the reason Paul could disciple Timothy? is because Timothy wanted to be discipled. Timothy wanted to grow in his faith. Now, I don't believe there's anyone in this room or probably anyone who is watching online who is of the mindset, if they are a believer, that they don't want to grow in their faith. Well, here's what I want you to understand. One of the best ways that you can grow in your walk with the Lord is whoever you are and however you are, find someone who can walk with you. Someone who can go along that road with you. 
let, let me just give you all a little warning and a prayer request. I've got to take Tenzie tomorrow afternoon to get her driver's license. So that's a warning and a prayer request. Well, sometime today or tomorrow before we go, I'm going to get in. I'm going to go with her, and, I, and most of y'all know this. They have used the same little road test for 50 years, and I'm going to take her up there. And I don't know if she's going to listen or not, but we're going to go and we're going to park in the driver's license office. We're going to back out, and we're going to pull out, and I'm going to say, hey, see that stop sign right there? You've got to be careful. Don't roll past it, or you'll just be turned around. Stop back. And we're going to go down the road, and we're going to go down Central, and I'm going to show her that bad curve down there that you can't cross the line, because if you cross the line, you might as well come on back. I'm going to show her that stop sign down there that, as far as I know, it always has been, been about half hit by a tree. I'm going to show her how to make a three-point turn down there on that road, and I'm going to show her the correct way, not like I did, I think, Malia. Uh, I, I told her, I said, go on. We down there. I said, go on. It was in my big Durango back then. I go on over there off the road, get it all, and, you know, make that three. They, they said, no, you can't get off the road when you make your three-point turns. I learned something. So, but Tenzi's going into Seoul. She'll be able to... <laughs> You know, and I've seen her drive before. Tend to just oh, turn around and go, you know, that way. But I'm going to take her, because I've been there before, and I've done it, and I've been there with three other kids, if she'll listen, I'm going to show her some things when, we go, when she goes out with the driver's license examiner that will help her get her driver's license. I think that's my function as a father. I, I think I ought to do that. I think as a Christian, we ought to be taking some people and showing them where the bad spots in the road are. A Christian congregation supports each other. Vance Havner says Christians are the only people in the world that shoot their wounded. It's not a matter of just discipling and training up the younger. It's a matter of coming along beside of the wounded. That's what a Christian congregation does. It's a matter of coming alongside those that are struggling. It's a matter of being a good enough friend and a good enough Christian to be able to go and sit down with somebody in a non-judgmental, non-critical way and say, listen, I've been noticing in your life, I've seen some things that concern me. Now, it's also being a good enough Christian to hear that and take that in the spirit in which it's delivered. A Christian congregation is supportive. Paul took care of Timothy. Paul made sure... You know what? Do you know what's one of the... In, in my opinion, and I work with a lot of churches and a lot of pastors. Do you know what? In my, in my opinion, in my opinion, and, you know, a couple bucks will get you a cup of coffee, you know, so, so 
this is my opinion. In my opinion, much of what's wrong in our church in 2021 is that in the last 30 or 40 years, we've quit discipling our young people. And now they're leading the church, or supposed to be leading the church, and they don't know where they're going themselves. They weren't discipled, and there's a good chance they wouldn't have listened if they were. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. If the church is going to prosper, if it's going to move forward into the future, we're going to have to disciple our young people. Our young people are going to have to listen. We're going to have to support each other, come along with each other, help each other, and work together. A Christian congregation is supportive. Notice the next word that Paul uses in his greeting. Paul doesn't just say Paul and Timothy. But he goes on and he says, Paul and Timothy, uh, and, and he calls them servants. Paul and Timothy, they're not only supportive, but they're servants. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now let me go somewhere some of you may not be comfortable with, but it's just reality. The word servant there would be more accurate for you and I to understand. They understood it, but for you and I to hear that word, it would be more accurate to hear the word slave. Bond slave. A bond slave in that day, and again, we're talking about in the context, and I know we have a certain context and mindset of slavery in America and in our history. But I'm talking about in Paul's day, and there were, were some, some similarities, but there were some differences. A slave, a bond slave in that time, he had no will. He had no rights. His will, his rights revolved in his master. His function was to please the master to do whatever the Master wanted. It wasn't about His rights. It was about the Master and what the Master wanted. A healthy congregation <coughs> serves Jesus. Not tradition, not the deacons, not a particular family in the church, not a particular person in the church, but a healthy congregation serves Jesus. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. We don't have our own will. We don't have our own design. We don't have our own plan. We could solve much of the issues in churches in America today by understanding that we are servants, bond slaves of Jesus Christ. For years they hung all around 
our, our facilities here aside. I had printed off and put up, and, and slowly but surely, I guess, I don't know if people didn't like them and tore them down, if it just fell down or whatever, but there were signs hanging everywhere that says the church is the only organization in the world that exists for the benefit of those who are not her members. Our purpose of a Christian congregation is to serve Jesus. Now let me tell you what that looks like. I know I'm on shaky ground here for some of you, but if you haven't figured out in 20, almost 27 years, it really doesn't matter. That means it's not what music I like. That means it's not what anything I like or you like. It means we're trying our best to follow Jesus and do what we can to develop and disciple believers and reach lost people. We are not a country club. We are servants. That's why I told you the other week, as we put things back together coming out of COVID, we're going to focus on three areas. Gather, what we're doing right now, gathering in worship, growing, getting in a small group, getting together, growing, discipling, and going. We're going to, to, to serve others. That's our function. Paul says that a Christian congregation is supportive. They're servants. They're also separated. Look as he goes on. In that next statement, we're just going word by word in his uh, description uh, here. He says they're, they're separated. What's that mean? It means they are, they, they are saints to Christ Jesus. Now, I'm looking around and calling some of you saints, or most of us, or all of us saints, maybe, depending on your definition, a saint. But the word simply means separated. It means separated. That's what the word means. I'm not sure exactly what idea we have in our head of what it means to be a saint. Uh, I, I'm a little scared, to be honest with you, of how most people would define saint. But it means to be separated. Again, that's biblical. We're told to come out of this world. We're, we are in this world, but we're not, we're not to be part of it. We're not to act like it. We're not to look like it. A Christian congregation ought to look different than the world. Now, I'm going to tread lightly here because I could go real, careful, real, real quickly into some of my preferences. And that's all they are. But I'm just going to say, 
in my opinion again, some of the churches in 2021, I have a hard time telling them from the world. Now by separate, that doesn't mean again, and I like the fact that he puts servants first. We're out there serving, but we're separate. We're different. We are being sanctified. Again, biblical. I'm using two verses this morning, but I can stand here today and give you just hundreds of other biblical verses to support this same theory. Each one of these points. The church, the church of Jesus Christ is to be separate from the world. It's to be different. We're to have different desires, different wants, different likes. It is to be full, again, of, of saints of God. Those being separated. Those being set aside for the glory of God. Living for Him. Working for Him. They're to be separated. The fourth thing that I notice in this passage, look what he says here. He goes on and he says, He writes to the saints in Christ Jesus who are filled by with the bishops or overseers and deacons. Now, many people who read that get all tangled up in what is a bishop, what is a deacon, what is an elder, la di da di da who cares? Okay? Here's the point. A Christian congregation is structured. A Christian congregation is structured. It's not just some willy-nilly, slung together, whatever. It has God-appointed leaders. Okay? Now, I'm really fixing to tick some people off and tell you, you are looking at one of them. The pastor is to be the under-shepherd of the church. Now, that doesn't make him king. That doesn't make him dictator. That means he takes care of the sheep. That's why several years ago, I... Okay, I'll tell you the story. I was debating with a... We had a churchman, I don't even say who, who was in one of our local rest homes. I won't say who. But it rhymes with Ryan Splinter. Okay? They brought him lunch. I still got a picture of it on my phone. Some of you have seen it. He wouldn't eat it. Neither would the dogs. I picked up what was supposed to be a chicken tender and sucked on it for five minutes and finally got it soft enough to bite. It was atrocious. I went down to the office and had church. Because while he wouldn't eat that lunch, they were in there fussing at him saying, if you don't eat, we're going to put in a feeding tube. I went out in the hallway, I opened up all the return trays. Everybody in that building was going to get a feeding tube because wasn't nobody eating that junk. We had church in the office. 
And I told him, tell the administrator to eat that garbage if he thinks it's okay. And I tell you what I told him. I said, that's one of my flock. And I'll fight you over him. And I meant it. And I marched my little fat self down to the cafeteria because I knew where it was and I told him, make him a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And he ate every bite of it like he hadn't eaten a week. But a Christian congregation is structured. Not just everybody, anybody is saying we ought to do this, we ought to do that, we ought to do this. Bible, again, biblical. Where God is, there's order. Go back to Genesis 1. There was disorder, there was disarray, there was disarrangement, and we begin to see God do what? Bring order where there was disorder. That's why God gives us leaders, bishops and deacons as they're called here. Leaders in the church. They're not gophers. They're not errand boys or girls, whatever, whatever position it is. But they ought to be respected and looked up to and prayed for as the leaders of our congregation. Working to make these things happen. Christian congregation is structured. But then finally, in the last statement Paul makes, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. They are secure in the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ. That is the marks of a Christian congregation. Secure in the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank You, Lord, for saving me because I am secure in Your grace and Your peace. We may be living in a world where pandemics are running wild, where we don't know, and we oh, help us all. We've got the French mad at us. I don't know if you're keeping up with the news. I don't know what we're going to do. Yeah, they're mad at us till the Germans invade them again. Then they'll like us. Bad preacher. Uh, Listen, we've got a crazy world we live in. But a child of God, a Christian congregation, we lay our head down at night and go to sleep. Secure in the fact that if we don't wake up tomorrow morning on this earth, we'll wake up in the presence of God Himself. That's a Christian congregation. If tomorrow they make it illegal to worship, if tomorrow they make it illegal to gather, we're still a congregation that is secure in the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ. You know, I can remember years ago using that kind of statement in a sermon and not really thinking much about it. But to talk about today, the government trying to shut down the church, that's not so far-fetched anymore, is it? But I am secure in the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ. I want to finish up this morning by showing you one last thing out of these two verses. 
that I think is hugely important. You go home, check on me. Again, I wouldn't make this up, I promise you. If you go through Paul's letters, if you start with Romans, and you begin to go through Paul's letters, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, check them. And you'll see that in the opening verse of all but three, this one, Thessalonians, and one more. My mind just went blank. Paul introduces himself this way. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Those of you who read your Bible, you remember that? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. If you don't believe me, just you're right there in Philippians. I told you to leave your Bible open. You should have listened. Yeah. Turn the page. Just go right over to the book of Colossians. Two pages. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Go back the other way. If you go back to the beginning of Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Over and over again, you will see that Paul introduces himself as Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Philemon, that's the other one. First and second Thessalonians, both Thessalonians and Philemon. And Philippians. Philippians, he doesn't call himself an apostle. Now listen, I know some of you may look at that and go, so what? I notice things like that. Things like, when I see something that's kind of always been and all of a sudden there's something different, I'm like, hmm, got to be a reason for that. Got to be a reason for that. If we come in here next week and CD sits back there in that back corner, I'm going to go ask him why. Now, he's going to do that next week just to mess with my nerves. Here's the conclusion that, that struck me. Why did Paul not introduce himself as an apostle? Who can tell me what the requirements were to be called an apostle? I shouldn't ask because I can't hear. Um, you had to actually, that's the main thing. Yeah? It, it, the, the being called an apostle was a kind of a stamp. I've seen, and be, I've seen the risen Savior. I've been sent by the risen Savior. But when Paul wrote to the Philippians, he didn't have to tell them he was an apostle. They already knew. Most of the other letters that Paul wrote were for correction, discipline in the church. The book of Philippians is largely written because Paul wrote, interestingly enough, I didn't really talk about this, Paul wrote a book about joy from a Roman prison. That's joy. That's when joy is in here, not from outside. And the Philippian church had taken up an offering and sent the money to Paul. 
And so the letter of Philippians is largely written to thank them for sending that offering. What about discipline? The other letters Paul had to kind of say, you know, y'all remember the Andy Griffith episode? I'll get there in a minute. Y'all remember the Andy Griffith episode where the guys were selling produce out by the edge of town and Barney was trying to get them to stop? And Andy told them, it's the badge. You remember that? And he told them, you know, it's what that badge represents. Well, that's kind of what it meant when Paul said, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was telling the Galatians, quit that fighting. See the badge? He was telling the Ephesians, straighten up. You see the badge? The Colossians, get your doctrine right. See the badge? He had to kind of, you know, prove to them that he had the right to tell them that. But with the Philippians, they knew Paul well enough. They had seen his life. Paul had spent, and it's debatable, we... we we know for a fact, biblically speaking, Paul went to Philippi twice. We believe he was there at least four times, actually. They knew Paul. They'd watched Paul. They'd seen Paul. They'd studied Paul. Paul didn't have to tell them he was an apostle. They knew he was an apostle. They knew from watching his life, he had been with Jesus. You remember when Moses came down off Sinai? He had a glow. They knew. They knew. Folks, if we have to tell people we are an apostle, something's missing. If we have to tell people we're a follower of Jesus, something's wrong. If we have to tell people we are a Christian congregation, we're not doing something right. They ought to be able to sense it when they pull in the parking lot. They ought to know it when they ride down the road. That's a special place right there. God's people are gathered there. How many of you here are young enough to remember when you didn't break into church? Because that was a special place. Some of you say, what do you mean remember? It's still that way. <laughs> you know, how many of you remember when the church, you know, you didn't, if you was going down the road with some litter and you was going to throw it out, you didn't throw it out at the church. You waited until you got to the neighbor's house. You know. Then you threw it out. Then you made the Indian cry. Some of you look at me like I'm crazy. Y'all don't remember the old Indian crying at the litter. Listen. The church of Jesus Christ, a congregation of a Christian congregation, the people of Jesus, ought not have to tell the world we're, we're followers of Jesus. 
those characteristics ought to go before us. I don't know about you. I still stand up when the American flag comes down the road in the parade. When the military marches and the flag guys out front, I still stand up and put my hand on my heart. I don't salute because I'm not a veteran. And I don't and I know you, I don't want to salute wrong, so I just put my listen. When that flag comes out front, they don't have to tell me they're American. That flag goes out. These characteristics ought to be in our life, ought to be in our church. So that the world knows we are a Christian congregation. Now what in the world does that have to do with joy? Because if you're not in the right church, if you're not living right in your church, you'll never have joy. You'll never have joy. If you, if I hadn't ruffled your feathers yet, give me a minute. I'm, I'm working on it. I really am. I'm trying hard to get ever. I want to be an equal opportunity offender this morning. If you miss church and it doesn't bother you, something's wrong. Something's wrong. If you not pray and it doesn't bother you, something's wrong. If you not read your Bible and it doesn't bother you, something's wrong. If you can go about your life and never tell anybody what Jesus Christ has done in your life, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Those are the marks. I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning. Whether you're here, whether you're online, whether you're watching this on Monday or Tuesday when it's recorded, I want to plead with you this morning. I want to invite you, I want to ask you, would you pray that our church would be that kind of church? Would you pray that we would have more of those kind of churches in our community? Not just us. There's enough lost people in this community that if all of them showed up next Sunday, we wouldn't have seats to let them sit in. It's going to take all of us. But our churches won't have those marks until our church members have those marks. You don't know Christ as your Savior today. Paul was writing to the saints. The beginning of being a good church member is being a good Christian. Knowing Jesus Christ. If you don't know Him today, if you've never been saved, if today you were to die, and you can't honestly say, I know beyond any shadow of a doubt that if I die today, I'd spend eternity in heaven with my Savior. If your answer is, I'm not sure, I don't know, or I hope so, would you come this morning and let us show you from God's Word how you can leave here saying, I know. I know. I know I've been saved. Make us that kind of church. 
Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, I pray, Lord, that you will stir us, God, to our very foundation and make us the church you want us to be. Make us a church after your design. Make us a people after your heart. Make us servants. Make us saints. God, that we would carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, that we wouldn't have to tell people we're Christian. They'd know. They'd know. God, we'll give you the glory for what you do here this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we stand.